Now there are four Sundays to it. They take my robe and they tear it into four parts. They dare not touch my tunic, for it is woven from head to foot. And it is woven so beautifully, it's without seam. They must cast lots for it, for scripture must be fulfilled. The 22nd Psalm tells me you cannot fail. Tear my robe apart, for a new way is now open to man. It's through the curtain of the flesh, and it is the flesh. I bear no scars to prove what I tell you, but I have felt everything in my flesh. As told us in the 10th chapter, the 20th verse of the book of Hebrews. This is a new way that is open. Now no ritual in this world. Do I need it? I need no individual to lead me to God. From then on, having torn the scaffolding away, I have direct access to my Father, because he and I are one. He built that garment that he wanted me to wear, and this is gar- and this is the garment that he built. How can I describe it? You have to experience it. He took a garment into which I was encased, an animal garment, and transformed it into the human form divine. My face remains what you see now, only raised to the nth degree of majesty. Hands remain, but raised to the nth degree of beauty and expression. Feet remain, the body not. He transformed me into the human form divine. Now listen to the words of one who not only saw it, as I have seen it, but he had the ability to tell it, as I have not arrived so far to tell it. He was the the grand poet Blake. Mercy, pity, peace, and love is God our Father dear. And mercy, pity, peace, and love is man his child and care. For mercy has a human heart, pity the human face, and love the human form divine, and peace the human dress. Well, how could I describe to anyone the human form divine? And yet I stood in the presence of the human form divine, and it was infinite love. Infinite love embraced me and incorporated me into the form of infinite love. But I can't describe what the body is, not to the satisfaction of anyone in the world, before he experiences it. But the face, yes, the sameness of identity, but a radical change as to form. And so Advent is the unveiling of Christ and man. That's what it really is. You take the curtain apart and you unveil Christ and man, and you do it in four great tears in the flesh. The first is in the skull, and you can take it in this way. When you awake in your skull and then you come out of your skull, which is called the birth from above, it's really one, it takes place in one night. The second one is an explosion, a fantastic explosion, and then it comes where you know who you are. That second event reveals who you really are, and it takes the Son to reveal the Father, and the Son appears and calls you Father. Then, and only then, do you realize who you are, that God fulfilled His promise to give you Himself as though there were no others in the world, just God and you, and now because He gave you Himself, just you because you are He. Prior to that moment, you did not know what you would be like, but you knew that when He appeared, who would be like him. And so when his son appeared, you were the father. You didn't know what you would be like, as told 
as in the first epistle of John, the third chapter, It does not yet appear what we shall be like, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Verse 2. And no one can reveal him save the Son. So the Son appears in your world, and he calls you Father. And you know then, or you know that then you are like him. You are the Father, because the Son calls you Lord. He calls you Father. You have no uncertainty in your heart as to the reality of what is taking place in your world. That was the second terror of the garment. Then comes the third terror. He tells you, I will come in this manner. The earth will shake and every stone will be split right through. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one. That's when I come. That's the third terror. And everyone is really split. Every segment of your spinal column is completely severed in two. And you see them separated by inches, fulfilling the 27th of Matthew. He will come and every stone will be split and there is an earthquake. You have never felt anything comparable to it. That's the third tearing. The fourth one is when you take off the garment for the last time, because then when it actually comes off the tunic that is made without seam, woven from the top to the bottom, is your immortal garment. It's a garment of love. For then you were the human form divine, and the human form divine is all love. There's nothing but love. So when you experienced it, as we all will experience today, experience this past week and this horror, may I tell you the one who played both parts was God. God played both parts. He also played the third part of horror. For there's nothing but God in this world. And in the very end, when the curtain comes down, God, who only at and is all and in all existing beings or men, will call us all together, for we're incorporated into the body of love, and reveal the meaning of the play, and the poor acts will be over. The poor tears will be over. Then in some wonderful fifth act, he will display the purpose of these four acts, for then you and I will all together be identified as to face no loss of identity, but with this radical change of this immortal form, we will play the fifth act, and oh, what an act, but then we are qualified to play it. We have the garment with which we can play it. We couldn't play it with these. It takes these, the outer structure, to play this so-called horror of the world. Now, I am not speculating. I am giving you and sharing with you my vision. I have experienced it, but I cannot in any way... Describe it, save words. I cannot on this level do any more than I am doing now using words to tell you what I have experienced. For if this seems to be a horrible play, then I ask you to believe God played all the parts. The so-called insane part that blew one, that we all admired so much into seeming eternity, that's not eternity. It could be that very moment in time that impact was a tearing, of one section of the garment. Who knows? For he is on the wheel of recurrence. Haven't you seen where we go back to 1840? And he elected every 20 years made this his exit while in office. Now we've gone beyond the 100 years. Can't you see the wheel of recurrence? This is now beyond 100 years. We started back in 1840 with a change in pattern. Not really a change... But to those who had memories, it seemed to be a change because memory is so short. 
If you could go back as Blake went back and he said, I behold the visions of my deadly sleep of 6,000 years. Of 6,000 years. Well, what man can go back 6,000 years? If you could, you would see everything as it is about to appear. And what is more horrible in this world than to sit in a play in the presence of one who saw it and who is talking, who tells exactly what's going to happen. You go to a picture and all of a sudden someone who who wants you to know they saw it before. The one going through the door, he's going to shoot that one. And you don't know that. You don't anticipate it, but it comes to pass, and you get annoyed with him. But he keeps on talking about it, and he tells the entire play as it unfolds. Wouldn't you want to hit him over the head? Well, that's the play. This fantastic play. But feel yourself a slave. Within the framework of God's play as actors, you and I can modify the part, we can change the part, but we are playing a part. And an actor to play a part, well, must to some extent feel the part that he's playing. And to the best of his ability, he must imagine himself as a character that he is depicting. And so I am playing a part. I was cast in this role. I stood in the drama in the depths of my soul and cast lots for this er, for this robe and go the fourth part. So I came into the world playing the part of the fourth and had to play what I am playing. This all goes back and anchors on the one called David. The earliest manuscripts with the very earliest manuscripts known only or know only one ancestor of David and that is his father, Jesse. He had no mother and for this you may go back and search the Encyclopedia Biblica, the most scholarly work on the Bible to date. They say as far back as we can go, we can find no ancestor of David, other than his father, whose name was Jesse. Furthermore, they say in the earliest manuscripts, there are only four brothers and he was the youngest of four. Others were mentioned as brothers, but no names. In a scripture, unless a thing is named, it doesn't exist, and so there could be seven brothers. As they're told, and eight brothers, as are told, but they must be named. Only four are named, and the youngest of the four named is David. So tell me, whose son are you, young man? And he answered, I am the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. First Samuel seventeen fifty eight. And Christ is made to say, I came not to serve or to be served, I came to serve. I came as a servant. Mark ten forty five. I am the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. And the word Jesse is I am. The word Jesse means Jehovah. Jehovah comes not to be served, but to serve. Well, who serves but the actor who is playing the part, playing all the parts? And the one who discovered his father, as we are told, and David brought down the giant. Having brought down the giant, the promise now must be fulfilled. And the promise is that he who brings down the giant, the father... Who, he who brings down the giant, the enemy of Israel, I will set his father free in Israel. 1 Samuel 17.25 Well, who is the father? The father is Jesse. The father is Jesus Christ. So we go back. Your rebirth, the unveiling of the works of God in you, is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. <clears throat> the only one who is resurrected is Jesus Christ. So when you are resurrected, you are he. There is only Jesus Christ. 
You too will say in the end, as you will say this night when you read off the papers as you saw the TV, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He knew no more what he did driving in the open car than he who fired the fatal bullet and the other one who fired that bullet. And you and I on this level will speculate and do all kinds of things and it was all a play. You go tonight and you see Macbeth and sitting in the audience stirred by the emotion of the play when she wants that spot rubbed out. And you in the play crying because of what she has done and what she prompted her husband to do, you hope it will never in eternity be wiped out. You hope that spot remains on that hand as a reminder to her violence. The horrible ambition that resulted in this innocent murder. But the curtain comes down and you really don't want that spot to remain if you know she's a grand actress. You only want it to remain on the part she played, but not on the actress who played it. But while you're carried with emotion, you want it to remain. While in this wonderful play of ours, you want this one snuffed off and that one snuffed off. And all these things just because we don't know it's a play. But I'm telling you from my own experience, this is a play. The most glorious play that God could conceive. And the purpose of it was to create in us an immortal structure. The human form divine. And the human form divine is all love. There's nothing but love. One day, I prophesy, everyone in this world, the insane today, the imbeciles today, all will play all these parts. But one day, not being playing all the or not being playing these parts, and he brought into the presence of infinite love. He will embrace them, incorporate them into his body, and in the end, when the curtain comes down and the play is over, everyone is wearing the human form divine. And everyone will have the heart of mercy. Everyone will have the face of pity, and everyone will be wearing the dress of peace. But the form itself will be the human form divine, and that form is infinite love. So I ask you not to despair. I know tonight the whole country is disturbed. Maybe not tonight, but certainly last. I'm wondering. And so to repeat, Blake, do, do, do you let yourself be intimidated, or do not? Let yourself be intimidated by the horror of the world. Everything is ordered and correct and must fulfill its destiny in order to attain perfection. Follow this path and you will receive from your own wonderful soul an even deeper perception of the eternal beauties of life. You'll also receive an ever-increasing relief from that which now seems to be so sad and so terrible. You will. You'll suddenly awake from it all and you will see the reason behind the play, and you will allow it, although the face will be yours forever and ever. The form by this horrible play is transformed into the human form divine, and that form is infinite love. But in the meanwhile, use God's law. Use it to create and modify all the things in this world, create things you want, and cushion the blows of the play. Because, like actors, you can play it indifferently. Or you can play it differently. The same play, same part, but you would play it differently. Without the blow, that would be the inevitable blow if you did not use God's law wisely. That play, the part I'm playing using this law and play it wisely, everyone can do it. And you play the part wisely when you use your imagination lovingly. <clears throat> excuse me, on behalf 
of yourself and others. That's when you, the most, that's when you, the, the most horrible, hold on. That's when you, that's when you hear, that's when you know the most horrible story. Okay, you revise it. When, or that's when you hear the most horrible story. That's, sorry. That's why when you hear the most horrible story, you revise it. There were, it looked like there were some words missing in the lecture. When you hear anything, you revise it. All that is allowed within the play, it does not change the outcome of the play. God planned everything as it has come out and as it will be consummated. As we are told in the 14th of Isaiah, I have planned that which I have planned shall stand in my purposes forever. Verse 24. I have planned it just as it is, and my purpose is forever. No one will change it. You read it carefully, and you will understand. But in the end, when the scaffold comes down and the building is revealed, I just can't tell you the glory of that building, for it's the glory of God. I can't tell you what it is to wear the garment of love, and yet this remains until the final tearing. There are four tears, and no one gets a fourth tear until he makes his exit from this world. Then comes the fourth one. All these other things appear, like the dove and all these things that are part of the eternal story. They all appear to show you, <coughs> excuse me, how true the story is. But the fourth tear, when the garment is torn into four parts, and then others cast lots for the untorn garment to play the part. For the fourth one is the one who comes through the door, and maybe tonight you may be that fourth one. I cannot in any way determine who will win the garment, but God knows exactly how he is unfolding this fantastic drama. So you read it carefully. Only one relative, and the relative was father, born without a mother, begotten of God, begotten of the Spirit, and not of flesh and blood. And the being begotten is beloved, David. David is the one, the second tearing of the garment. And when the garment is torn a second time, it exposes David as a son. David looks and he calls you father, and then you know that's the second tear. And then comes the third tear in your departure from Egypt, where in the most fantastic way you can take the imprint of God. Because only if you are in the state of molten gold can you take the impress of God. And so we are taking the seal of God. But you can't take the seal that comes sealed upon wax or upon clay, but then wax or clay must be in a molten state to take the impress, and so you see the gold, and you are it. Then suddenly the gold becomes serpentine, and up it moves, up the shaft of what was formerly split. You move up the shaft of your own spinal cord, and here you take the impress upon the face of God. But God dwells in Zion, and Zion is your skull. And it's in there that you go. You make the most tremendous effort to get out. But you don't get out. You just press into that skull and take the impress of the face of God, yet no loss of identity. But you'll wear forever the form of God, without loss of identity. As you are told from John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone who enters the kingdom does so with violence, Matthew eleven twelve. And may I tell you, you've never known such violence in your life. As at that moment in time when you move up with a power that you've never felt before, but that power pushes into that seal and you take the face of God.
but it will not be unveiled to you until the last tear, which is the taking off of the garment. So what you have inherited, your heavenly state cannot become actual or is, at least, not fully realized by you so long as you still wear this, waiting for the last tear. And then the garment is torn, as you are told, into four parts, and you're clothed in that seamless robe, wearing without loss of identity the human form divine. Now let us go into the silence. Okay, so there we go. That is Neville Goddard's lecture. Advent, the four tears. I think at the beginning of the podcast, I called it the four tears, but it's the four tears from 1963. All right. Thank you so much for joining me for another lecture. And I will see you guys in the next episode. I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Bye now.